This is your host, Shashank Shekhar, and welcome to another episode of Shashank Redemption. Hey, welcome everyone to the new episode of uh, Shashank Redemption, where I'm joined by someone very, very special. He's um, building one of the most exciting prop tech slash fintech, I would say, in the country right now. Um, and uh, so please welcome my guest, Ralph Howry. He is the CEO and founder at Cocoon. We'll talk about more about Cocoon just in a while, but welcome to the show, Ralph. Thank you, Shashank. Happy to be here. Uh, so, we'll, we'll, as I said, uh, we'll get to the story of Cocoon shortly. But before that, let's let's talk about you a little bit, Rav. I mean, you have had held uh, senior management positions across some of the biggest organizations in the world, I would say, and then um, decided eventually to start a company. So, talk to me a little bit about how working in corporate America helped really do this, or does it have no relationship when you want to start something? Uh, because that's something I do get asked a lot uh, when I'm, say, doing lectures at business schools is, uh, should we, I mean, if we have an idea, should we just do it out of business school or should we get some corporate experience? Like, is one better than the other? And and I couldn't think of anyone better than you to ask that question, given super deep um, experience that you have had in, in the corporate world before starting Cocoon. So if you can help our audience out with that question. Sure. Um, I'm not sure there is a, a black and white answer to that question. <laughs> I would say <laughs> this, <laughs> yes. I would say that having some experience at the expense of somebody else, understanding how companies run and operate will help you a long way to kind of when you start your own business. Starting from business school, um, you know, that allows you to be a founder and to create ideas. But moving into an operational model, I think, is not a simple transition for someone who's never held a position in a corporation. And so um, I would say, generally speaking, to be a founder, you don't need corporate experience. As a matter of fact, I would even say, if you're a person of ideas mm-hmm. and you have an invention of some sort and you want to change things, I would say not having that experience may be a plus because you don't get to live in that box that was defined for you when you worked for corporate America. Interesting. But if you want to learn to operate, that's not something you learn on a job. And operating a company is um, not a simple exercise. You need a few years under your belt before you can actually operate efficiently, let's just say, and also know the hazards of operations. Right? I know what to avoid, know when to tighten the belt, when to release it, uh, uh, know how to deal with pe- other people's interests. Um, it is not uh, something that I think you can do out of business school right away. Now, you may get the experience along the way. You may get advisors, uh, teachers that help you along the way. But I would say if you want to be, if you're a person of idea, you can skip the corporate world. If you want to be a CEO and you want to build a big business, I would say get some years under your belt. 
I will tell you that I personally done most of, you know, a lot of my career was in management consulting. And one of the advantages for management consulting compared to other corporate jobs is that you are kind of a small entrepreneur because you sort of have to generate the revenue for your business and you have to be, you know, coming up with solutions for clients, understand the market and do things. And, and you're also able to see lots of different businesses and lots of different operations and learn from that. So if you have to go to corporate America and that's your plan, I'd say consulting is not a bad option for you, despite the black eye that consulting has (laughs) by many, but it does give you a a wider exposure and a larger experience. Yeah, I think that's that's very well answered is, is that if you're purely just a founder and and a visionary and then have an invention or have a disruptive idea, then you don't really need corporate America experience. But if you also want to be the CEO, then in more cases than not, it's definitely helpful. And that's why I think, Raf, we see that a lot of founders struggle when the company starts growing yeah. is because they're really not cut out to be the CEO because they what they don't realize is that those are two different roles. Being, being a founder and CEO is sometimes completely different in terms of in terms of what you need to do so uh, tell us a little bit about your cape gemini experience i know that you you worked there for multiple years i think close that uh, more than a decade i guess and as you mentioned you were in a consulting role you you were also extremely uh, senior positions both here and internationally um, so uh, talk to us a little bit about that experience and how that helped you uh, eventually start your own company Sure. Um, so uh, I came to Capgemini through the uh, Ernst & Young acquisition um, in, I think it was, let's see, 2000 and maybe two or three. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say uh, two things. One is, as I had mentioned, you get exposed to a lot of different businesses and a lot of clients, and you are constantly innovating. The reason I say that is because you're because you're in a services industry. The service industry has to react to the market needs uh, differently from the way a product does. A product builds a roadmap. You monitor the technology. You monitor customer acquisition, and you kind of come up with your solutions. When you're kind of consulting, you're almost finding a job for yourself. And so you have to follow the, the company's problems and build you know, solutions for those on a regular basis to solve their problems. I was considered one of those um, complex problem solvers. Okay. That's what I excelled at. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can give me a very ambiguous environment or fragmented environment. And you know, it'll take me some time, but somehow I break it all apart and put it back together and build a roadmap. And that's what I've done really well. And that's what I really enjoy, to be honest with you. Wow. Um, and so I had one of those jobs that nobody wanted because nobody <laughs> wants to deal with a nebulous problem. Exactly. And when, you, problem. when you were explaining it, I was like, okay, I mean, that's, that's quite a talent, but I'm not sure if most people would like doing that. So Yeah. And I'm not sure I did like it in the beginning. I, I just, you know, you know how sometimes we don't know ourselves until we get tested. And I found that I had certain, you learn about your skills, you learn about sure. your abilities, mm-hmm. you learn about your weaknesses too. And this was one of those things that I 
you know, I felt over, you know, I saw it with a few client problem is that, you know, you have a problem, especially if it involved also a lot of negotiations where lots of different parties um, that I was kind of, you know, that's what I excelled in. And so if you kind of, so you take this experience on one side, you also get exposures to how companies operate, good and bad, right? You get exposure to a lot of different executives, also good and bad. Mm-hmm. And you combine those. Um, one of the things you you don't have as a consultant, which is one of the reasons I started Cocoon, is that you never see a project to the end because you really don't own it. You're solving somebody's problem, you fix it, you finish it, you sign off and you move on and you hand it over. So you that concept yes. of saying, I built this thing and it's now you know mine per se, as, as selfish and narcissistic as that sounds, <laughs> but motivates us at the end of the day. Uh-huh. That did not exist. And that's the one thing I wanted to change. I, I built a lot of products for a lot of people, but not for myself. And um, I took that experience. Meanwhile, I was I was always a lover of real estate, and uh, whatever I bought, I never bought new. I always bought and flipped, mm-hmm. and made an architect. And um, you know, on my last uh, home that I bought and flipped and lived in it, I saw that the whole thing is offline, mm-hmm. completely offline, and I have not seen any anyone trying to fix this problem. And for me, I summarize the problem with two words. Opaqueness, it is really very hard to figure out what happens within. Mm -hmm. The second one is fragmentation. Home ownership is a a kind of a, a thing we do but we never really structured it and it never became sort of transparent as to what should I expect, how much, how long, who are the right people, how do I pay for it, what's the right way to pay for it, should I buy this house or that house? All those things I felt were questions that should be answered. And that's when I use my kind of experience as the complex problem solver. I took off from my job, spent a good year just ideating, doing a little bit of R&D, Mm-hmm. And within about, I would say, 10 months, I came up with an approach. That approach since then has evolved, but the core remained the same. So uh, this is where my experience in consulting has been really, um, has shaped what I've done for Cocoon. The other thing that shaped what I've done for Cocoon is my experience with doing offshore operations mm-hmm. and uh, outsourcing. Uh, and that has helped me bootstrap tremendously like i was i was operating in a covid model way before pre-covid, pre-COVID <laughs> right mm-hmm. way pre-zoom uh, we were doing that and uh, we were able to pull it off um, and so i think that's another thing having not done the uh, a consulting kind of gig would not really would not have been possible so let's talk talk about bootstrapping graph i i uh uh, bootstrapped Insta Mortgage all the way until now, um, and we were named the fastest growing mortgage company and second fastest growing financial services company in the Americas. And that's it's an interesting because uh, a lot of uh, founders, especially uh, in their earliest stage, they may have ideas. They probably either they can't raise for some reason or they don't want to raise, but 
They also don't know how to bootstrap a business. So if you can give some, you talked about offshoring as, as one of the ideas, maybe built on some kind of um, maybe same quality labor at a, at a slightly lower cost. Uh, but can you give a couple of ideas around uh, around bootstrapping your business, especially until the time you feel that it has become something more than just a vision and a thought and idea where you can possibly go and, and raise capital? Yeah, I think it depends also on your idea, right? My idea required, for example, a lot of technology and a lot of data, right? And uh, technology and data are resource-consuming efforts, right? There's not a whole lot. Uh, of ways for you to do this low cost because it requires bodies and it requires software licenses. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when I start to build the uh, business plan uh, for the for my idea, I recognize that uh, my major cost is going to be people. So not necessarily technology or marketing. It was people. Like, and okay. how do you do that? Um, at low cost, um, and especially that our company is really founded on a large data warehouse that we've collected over the years. And what I wanted to collect was a crazy effort. I will not qualify it with a better adjective. <laughs> um, that required, you know, I would say tenacity and time and people. Okay. And there's no way I could have done that in the U.S. and still bootstrap. It would have required me to go raise funds, mm -hmm. which I did not try. But even if I would try, I invested myself before. I would not give somebody some money to say, go spend four years collecting data. Nobody's yeah. going to do that for me. And so um, that's where the, the it's it all depends on your what you're trying to build and where your money is going to be needed. Bootstrapping is looking at the biggest budget items and then figure out how to do that really cheaply. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's what I've done, the people resource. So I built a, uh, a team in India for the technology space. Mm -hmm. I built a team in Latin America for the data collection. And between the two, um, uh, we were able to pull this together. I, I have to tell you, I, I was working very early mornings and very late at night. I'm sure, yes. <laughs> so it does come with a lot of sacrifices too. Uh, but it was, you know, uh, my bootstrap story uh, was around how do you do resourcing cheaply? That doesn't necessarily apply to everybody because maybe the money you need is for marketing or for user research and all that. So those you'd have to be very clever trying to figure this one out. I, you know, I think I was resourceful because I was mature enough and I knew a lot of things and a lot of people because of my experience in the past. And that allowed me to figure out alternative ways to almost everything. It doesn't always come without a price. So you do, um, you do pay the price somehow for that a little bit, but the overall rewards, um, you know, outweigh the the cost. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so let's talk about Cocoon then. I mean, what's the uh, story of the name itself? Um, did you start with that name? That, that did that name change uh, from the time you initially thought about it? But uh, let's talk uh, because 
that's another thing when when people um, think of starting a company, they they spend a lot of time just around the name uh, name itself. And I'm, I'm curious to know how you came up with the name and and the spelling of the brand. <laughs> yeah, and, and no, it hasn't changed. That's the name from the beginning, and okay. it, it comes from the word cocoon, the nest. Right? This is your yes. home. This is your nest. But of course, the name cocoon was taken, and um, I also uh, wanted a name that registers in people's memories. I get sometimes blamed for the fact that it's not phonetic, and I understand that concern. But <laughs> I also know at the same time, nobody has forgotten the name of this company. Whoever I met with, everybody saw it, recognized it visually, it sticks. You were asking yourself, how the hell do I say that name? And that registers almost in people's memory. So from a branding perspective, I thought that was a cool idea. And then, look, Yahoo, Google, who would have thought that those were good names? Yeah, exactly. Right? (laughs) So um, I think for those that blame, everybody's got a thesis around this. I like the name for a number of reasons. First, the, it's meaningful. Once you go past the, the, the spelling, um, it's easy to pronounce. Yes. It's very meaningful in terms of what it does. And the letter K uh, replaced the C because the letter K is architectural in the way it looks. Um, and so it gave it that kind of um, digital kind of uh, image to it. And it looked cool and so uh, that's how we kind of stuck with it over the years i get a lot of people that would say you know where did you get that name can you change it and you know uh, we've built a a good domain authority we have a lot of traffic people know us like i'm not changing anything like that right now and i get a lot of people that love the name i get some others that don't (laughs) i'll be honest which is which is totally fine. Which brings us to what exactly Cocoon does. Let's let's talk about that. And uh, of course, I I read about it. I've I've heard of the name before, uh, before I reached out to you for this uh, to be on my podcast. Uh, but you're doing something, um, something which is extremely valuable. So I, I talk about not building technology for technology's sake or product for product's sake in in the sense that. It sounds all cool and everything, but what real problem that we are trying to solve? And I personally think that Cocoon is doing an amazing job of something. Being from the industry, that I uh, I could see that for for decades. I mean, a solution like this could have been huge for for homeowners and and investors. So um, so talk to us about about Cocoon. What is it doing? What is it building? And how does it help uh, investors and homeowners? Sure. So. The basic premise uh, that I always was driving towards, which is your home is probably your largest investment. For the average American, that's a true statement. Yep. Yet, we still don't treat it as an investment, meaning we buy, we pay the mortgage, uh, we buy for obviously to meet our needs and probably to meet our emotional a reaction, but we've never kind of thought, why should I pick house number one over house number two? Most of those decisions are financial in terms of affordability or emotional in terms of I like living here. But if this is the largest investment that anybody makes, shouldn't it be treated like you would treat any other security? And so the promise, the premise and the promise was 
can I take a property and make it and evaluate it like I would evaluate any other security? Mm-hmm. And I always draw this analogy. Uh, some people like it, some people may not like it. So please take it with a grain of salt. When you buy a stock at the macro level, to simplify it, you look at three things. What sector is that company in? What does that company do in that sector? Mm-hmm. And um, and so, and who runs that company? Yes. Do I trust the management? Is this sector something that's always going to grow? Is it going to be needed? What kind of you know economic headwinds do I face? <laughs> and when I flip that to the house, I say the equivalent of that is that the house is the company. So you know what company you're buying in. The sector is the neighborhood. Know the neighborhood you're buying in because that impacts your the upside of your property. And the management is you as a homeowner. Nice. So if you own that house and you manage it well, you will get the right return. And so that's the kind of simplistic view. In order to solve that problem, we recognize there are two, two actual very basic trend we see. The buying and selling has received the bulk of most of the innovation in today's world. Whether that's the Zillows and Redfins of the world or all the new you know, fintechs companies around, renovation, all that. Or, but, but nobody has, you know, nobody has kind of looked at a home once it's bought. Data on homes become available when a house is sold mm-hmm. or it's on MLS. Once it's owned and if it's been owned for a number of years, you have no idea what this what happened to that house. It was this house maintained well. Yeah. They do anything to it. All of that becomes quite opaque. And so the to distill that problem into something that makes sense, we've we came to the conclusion that actually what we want to know is a property condition. Mm-hmm. Once you know a property condition, then you can go from there. You can say, here's how you can improve that condition. And here's what really the home is worth. If you know all the AVM players in the world, all the valuation software, they depend heavily on what's available in the public data and the MLS the majority of their uh, numbers come from when a house is up for sale. But only 5 million plus homes get sold every year. And the U.S. has 140 million homes. So that means the majority of homes are relatively in the dark. Yep. And so to understand property condition score, uh, we started to build this data warehouse where not only we take what's in the public domain, whether it's the property data, whether it's the assessor record, whether it's the MLS, but we spent a crazy amount of time looking at construction permits. And construction Mm -hmm. permits in particular are very, very difficult uh, because they're at the city level, not the county level. So your sources are just crazy. Yeah. And it's not very well structured because there are not that many vendors that try to actually take it and structure it like they've done with the property data. So we spent already a good four years just collecting and normalizing and using natural language to extract the context of what happened in every home. 
we aggregate all of this together and we assign a condition score based on these permit data and then the property history. And okay. from there, we use that as the foundation to say, here's how this home can go up in value. Here's where it stands as a property condition. Today, if you refinance your home or you get a mortgage, all the underwriters will be pulling an AVM on your home. Yep. Well, if that AVM does not reflect all the work that was done on that house, then there's a missed opportunity. And so uh, we built our solutions exactly to kind of, uh, with the foundation, the property condition score is at the core of everything. And from there, you can build a lot of different analytics. And so we build a number of them. To, uh, so hopefully that answers a little bit your question. But Cocoon is really three layers. At the bottom, there's a data warehouse of all this data sitting together. Mm-hmm. The layer above that is all the set of analytics, whether it's property condition score, renovation cost, ROI on renovation, um, uh, AVM, and so on and so forth. And then the last layer is we present all of those in software tools that we give to homeowners, but we also white label for every industry that serves homeowners, whether that's banks or insurance companies or uh, real estate brokerage firms. And so think of us as really simple data analytics and software. And, um, and it's really meant to be allow a homeowner manage their home, understand what they should do and could do and will do to continue to maintain that home and to, uh, to actually uh, uh, increase its value. So that's kind of the cocoon in a nutshell. We can get into the products if we need to, but hopefully that kind of tells the story. That does. And so, so you have, of course, some of the largest players in the, in the industry like Keller Williams and SoFi and U.S. Bank, I guess, and, and those are your clients who who white label this product, uh, and more at the at the homeowner level or potential home buyer level, um, is that the iHome report product then that they can buy better with 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 better intelligence for that specific uh, property. So we have four products. We look at home ownership in four phases. I buy this house, I renovate this house, I manage this house, and I sell this house. Okay. My life, my sort of the, the life cycle. To buy a house, we offer the first product, which is the iHome report. And the iHome report is a way to allow a homeowner to take a, a, a deeper look at a house in a way that's contextual. So we do things such as not only just like, okay, here's the data that's available everywhere clearly on this property, but we go and say, Here's what we think the outlook for this house. Here's what we think the value over the next five years uh, of this house looks like. And here's how it compares to the state, to the city, to the nation. So if you're trying to buy one of two houses, you're able to compare that piece of it. We also look based on our property condition score as to what this house could potentially need in terms of remodeling. And we will select the ones that would produce the most ROI, meaning the best, um, you know, that would increase the value. So we'll give you those costs, we'll give you what ROI on those would be. And then we give you all the rest of all the data. And then we go through a set of very um, um, curated maps that shows you this property and how it relates to all of its surroundings whether it's hospital, uh, uh, shopping centers, parks, uh, gyms, uh, restaurants, cafes, grocery stores, and so on and so forth. And they're all curated maps. So 
in one look, you'll be able to make a decision. And not only that will tell you how long you need, you know, if you to go to this high school, you know, by bike, how long does it take by car? You know, is it drivable and is it walkable and all of that? So we will put all of this together for one property. The report is pretty large. Okay. And a lot of also our mortgage providers offer it as a gift to their customers who are thinking mm. about to a mortgage with them. So that's like the first product. The second product is to renovate. And so we built this uh, uh, cost estimator. We're the largest one in the market right now. And a lot of, uh, and basically it's a way to uh, budget your remodel, but also figure out the ROI on that one. And the way we calculate ROI is by looking at flipped homes, basically, okay. that are near your home. And then we try to extract the value uh, from there. Uh, the... Cost estimate allows you also upfront to know what you're going to be needing and whether you need a loan. And so a lot of also our customers will use it to generate leads for loans, uh, whether it's a personal or a HELOC or a refi. The third product, and then with that, we offer a directory of contractors. We've taken these permits and we built profiles for every contractor based on reliability. Basically, we try to identify those contracts that are doing continuous work and they've been there for years and they are a good, you know, a good position in the market and are reliable because as you know, this industry is not always very reliable. So we offer also that view, but here are the contractors that are very reliable near you. The third product is the um, home manager. That's really our the biggest product we have, which is think of it as a suite of product. It's a dashboard. It would tell you, you give me your address. I'll tell you your home value. I will tell you the future, you know, the next five years. I will also tell you what the property condition score is. We allow you to update the property condition. So we ask you a number of questions if you want, and we'll show you the new property condition score and we'll show you the new value as a result of what you've done to the house. We also give you tools. Um, so we regularly give you those tools to constantly update your home. We give you a maintenance tool based on where your home is, the age of your property, the condition, okay. the weather, and you get those reminders on a regular basis. And you can automate those uh, the service, uh, the call to a service provider from there. So you just put their phone number and you will SMS. Like they say you want to like, clean your gutters once a year. You just have to think about it. It happens automatically from there on. Um, we also show you a view of the neighborhood, what's going on, who's who's renovating, uh, are there new cafes, are there new, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and we provide a lot of other services also like, you know, recent home sales and so on and so forth. But you constantly come back to update your property conditions, understand how to take it up from there. Best product is sell your home, which is a version of our estimator. Okay. But focused on trying to get your home ready to sell for the most money. So it's a combination of specific projects and specific ROIs that we bundle for the user based on their property itself. So those are our software products that we have on our consumer side that the customers use today uh, and that we also white label for, for customers. And we also uh, sell the analytics directly too. Perfect. And, and then... Um... What's next? I mean, you have built uh, multiple products and you have really deepened um, the product offering uh, and for all your partners, uh, which includes, of course, some of the largest organizations, but also individual um, household. Is 
Is the goal for the then then the next say twelve to twenty four months is just for more people to know about it because the product seems to be in place, uh, the technology seems to be in place. You already have some of the big names, kind of credible names that who are your partners. So, what is next uh, for Cocoon in the in the next say, six to twelve months? Yeah, I mean, I think we will continue to to uh, to deepen the partnerships we have, and and we are listening constantly to our customers for more ideas. And I have to say, I really love that part of it. So we'll continue to do that for the next year. Um, we uh, hired the staff. I mean, we are now we have a, a strong engineering team. Uh, uh, we have some folks from the leading companies, folks from that came from Zillow, from Fannie Mae, from Trulia, from, um, uh, from Expedia. Uh, to, to So we're ready, to, technologically speaking, we're ready on the data, and now we're going big time in consumer. So you will see us in the second half of the year go uh, very big on the consumer side. We have a decent size customer base. We don't advertise today. There's no advertising money. It's all through uh, word of mouth and, and really uh, SEO. Mm-hmm. But that's going to change in the second half. Yeah, so we're really, we're, that's our big, uh, big market. And one of the things we do is we uh, a lot of our partners love this journey because they want to be with us, go into those consumers directly so that they can close the loop for themselves. They love the kind of idea that not only do they offer their service to their customer, but to offer their service to our customers and try yeah. to actually kind of convince them to come. So it's been a really interesting uh, journey. Uh, our partners have been really tremendous in terms of guiding us and helping us, but at the same time, and, and seeing the value proposition for both parties, the homeowner and the service providers to those homeowners, whether they're lenders or real estate agents or uh, insurance uh, officers or, or so on. Uh, that's amazing. So, uh, Raf, thank you so much. I mean, we could we could go on talking. I mean, each of those products by itself could be a podcast. I mean, that's that's how deep those products run. Usually, when when you hear companies talk about products, they're like, okay, this is one big product, and then you have maybe a couple of supporting products under that. These are all unique products, which, as I said, in each one of those could be a company in itself, and then you have built all of that. And of course, building the data warehouse at the at the core of everything has helped you power all of that. So I think there is super strong fundamentals to Cocoon for uh, a rapid growth from here on. And um, I hope um, not just for you as the, as the founder and CEO, but also for everybody else who can benefit from it, that, that Cocoon continues doing it um, and continues to excel in, in what they're providing. So thanks so much for your time, Raf. I personally learned a lot um, from uh, from your answers and hope our audience did as well. And um, who knows, I mean, Instant Mortgage and Cocoon could be partnering in, uh, partnering in the in the near future as well. So, so thanks for your time, Raf. We would love to. Thank you, Shashak. Yeah, thank you very much for the opportunity to talk to you. Check out shashankredemption.com to connect with me.